Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading today from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. Now concerning the things you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of sexual sins, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband is to fulfill his obligation to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, her husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, his wife does. Do not deprive one another, unless you both agree to do so for a time, in order to devote yourselves to prayer, and then come together again, so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. However, I say this as a concession, not as a command. For I wish all people were like me, but each person has his own gift from God. One person is blessed in this way, another in a different way. I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain as I am. But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, because it is better to marry than to burn with desire." Next I command the married, it is the Lord's command, not mine. A wife is not to leave her husband, but if she does leave, she is to remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife, and she is willing to go on living with him, he is not to divorce her. If any woman has an unbelieving husband, and he is willing to go on living with her, she is not to divorce her husband. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified in connection with his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified in connection with her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not bound in such cases, and God has called us to live in peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? However, each person is to live in the situation the Lord assigned to him, the situation he was in when God called him to faith. I give this same command in all the churches. If a man was circumcised when he was called, he should not become uncircumcised. If man was uncircumcised when he was called, he should not get circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping God's commands is important. Let each person stay in that calling in which he was called. Were you a slave when you were called? Do not let it bother you. But if you are able to become free, take advantage of it. For the slave who is called to be in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Likewise, the free person who is called is Christ's slave. You are bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, let each person remain before God in the situation he was in when he was called. Now concerning virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy made worthy of trust. Accordingly, I think this is good because of the difficult situation we face, namely, that it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you unattached? Do not seek a wife. But if you do get married, you have not sinned, and if a virgin gets married, she has not sinned. Yet such people will be under pressure in their earthly lives, and I am trying to spare you. I also say this, brothers, the time is short. From now on, let those who have wives live, live as if they have none. 
those who weep as if not weeping, those who rejoice as if not rejoicing, those who buy as if not possessing, and those who use the world as if not getting any use out of it, for the way of life that belongs to this world is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord and thinks about how to please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world and thinks about how to please his wife, and so he is divided. The unmarried woman and the virgin are concerned about the things of the Lord, so as to be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world and thinks about how to please her husband. I am saying this for your own benefit, not to impose a restriction, but to encourage honorable, undistracted devotion to the Lord. But if someone thinks he is behaving inappropriately toward his virgin, if his feelings are strong and it seems necessary, he should do what he desires. It is not a sin. They should marry. But if someone stands firm in his heart and is not driven by need, but has control over his own desire and has decided in his own heart to keep his virgin as she is, he does well. So then, he who marries his virgin does well, and he who does not marry her does better. A wife is bound to her husband for as long as he lives, but if the husband has died, she is free to be married to any man she wishes, only in the Lord. But she is more blessed if she stays as she is, in my judgment, and I think that I, too, have God's Spirit. This is the Word of our God. As we get into this chapter, I think it's fitting that we take a quick look at the large catechism and Martin Luther's comments on first on the sixth commandment, rather, the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And some of his comments here um, really help to clarify and set the scene, set the stage for what Paul is talking about. And I think it's a good illustrating point. Um, beginning in paragraph 206 in the Concordia edition, he writes, but this commandment, the sixth commandment, is aimed directly at the state of marriage and gives us an opportunity to speak about it. First, understand and mark well how gloriously God honors and praises this estate of marriage. For by his commandment he both approves and guards it. He has approved it above in the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. But here he has hedged about it and protected it. Therefore he also wishes to honor it, and to maintain and govern it as a divine and blessed estate, because in the first place he has instituted it before all the other estates. He created man and woman separately, as is clear. This was not for lewdness, but so that they might live together in marriage, be fruitful, bear children, and nourish and train them to honor God. Therefore God has also most richly blessed this estate above all others. In addition, he has bestowed on it and wrapped up in it everything in the world, so that this estate might be well and richly provided for. Married life is, therefore, no joke or presumption. It is an excellent thing and a matter of divine seriousness, for marriage has the highest importance to God, so that people are raised up who may serve the world and promote the knowledge of God, godly living, and all virtues, to fight against wickedness and the devil." I have always taught that this estate should not be despised nor held in disrepute, as is done by the blind world and our false church leaders. Marriage should be regarded as it is in God's word, where it is adorned and sanctified. It is not only placed on an equality with other estates, but it comes first and surpasses them all, emperor, princes, bishops, or whoever they please. 
for both church and civil estates must humble themselves and all be found in this estate, as we hear. Therefore, it is not a peculiar estate, but the most common and noblest estate that runs throughout all Christendom. Yes, it extends through all the world. In the second place, and here's the important part, because we even have reference to 1 Corinthians 7 um, in this in this paragraph. In the second place, you must also know that marriage is not only an honorable, but also a necessary state. In general, and in all conditions, it is solemnly commanded by God that men and women who are created for marriage should be found in this estate. Yet there are some exceptions, although few, whom God has especially set apart. Or there are individuals whom he has released by a high supernatural gift, so that they can maintain chastity without this estate. For where nature has its course, since it is given by God, it is not possible to remain chaste without marriage. For flesh and blood remain flesh and blood. The natural desire and excitement have their course without delay or hindrance, as everybody sees and feels. In order, therefore, that it may be easier in some degree to avoid inchastity, God has commanded the estate of marriage. In this way everyone may have his proper portion and be satisfied with it. Yet God's grace is also required in order that the heart may remain pure. So looking at 1 Corinthians 7, we have to keep in mind that Paul is dealing with specific problems, and we don't always know the full picture. We don't always have the full context for those problems, but he's dealing with specific problems here in Corinth, and as with every every problem and every practical application of the Word of God, the details matter. And when we don't have all the details, we can't really get a full understanding of what some of these, some of these passages mean, um, especially toward the end of this chapter, I think it's verses 36 through 38, talking about being engaged to this young woman or engaged to this virgin. We don't have all the detail on what is going on there precisely. And so in in that case, (laughs) we don't have, you know, if we have a, a difficult portion of God's word, we typically look to the clearer portions of God's word. If we have something that is obscure or confusing, we look at something that is clear and simple to understand, but we don't have anything that really clarifies verses 36 through 38 for us, so we just let them stand as they are in the broader context of the chapter. Because what we're really dealing with is exactly where Paul left off at the end of chapter 6, the proper use of the body, the godly use of the body. The same deprecation of the body and bodily life that the Corinthians had fallen into, that they talked down and thought poorly, thought little of the human body and the the use and proper use of the human body. They thought very little of that, probably influenced by, yes, their own desires, as well as Greek philosophy. Greek philosophy, which said that the body is bad, that matter and the world is is bad, and it's all going to pass away anyway. So just go ahead and fulfill whatever your appetite may be, because it's good for you to do that. That's kind of the philosophy that the Corinthians had fallen into, and they certainly bought into it and tried to justify it in terms of their their own distorted understanding of the Word of God. That's where we even had the earlier admonition about the man who had his father's wife. You see, the Corinthians are, are dealing with a lot of problems here, and many of them very close to home. Um, even as Paul talked about at the end of chapter 6, that the one who sins sexually sins against his own body, that sin can be, be very ensnaring like that. And so the church's letter to Paul um, referred to in verse 1 of this chapter when he talks about the matters about which you wrote. 
And now Paul really takes up the issue that they had written to him about. That in verse 1, he quoted a catchword of the new, the new teaching, that it is well for a man not to touch a woman. That's kind of their idea, it seems. And that thinking that it is good for a man not to touch a woman, which is simply an outgrowth of the body is bad and matter is bad and it doesn't matter how you use your body, that thinking that it's good to refrain from any physical contact even between a husband and wife gave rise to you know, these, these ascetic experiments, <laughs> these, these attempts to live in, live really a celibate life, even within the bounds of marriage. And that these married people were not, were not equal to that task, putting it bluntly. Some were considering divorce from their spouses, especially pagan spouses as a way toward a fuller religious life. That's what Paul talks about in verses 10 through 16 to the married. I give this command, not I, but the Lord a wife must not separate from her husband. And that comment, that parenthetical comment that the Lord was the one giving that command is simply a reference to the fact that Jesus had already spoken against marriage in the gospel of Matthew and Mark, and I think also in Luke. And then the the obverse of that, verse 12, to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, talking about a new application for the Corinthians here. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. It's the reminder that that the Corinthians would not find a fuller religious life, and they did not have any obligation as a Christian to divorce. That they had thought that maybe if I divorce my spouse, then, I, then that's even better than living with my spouse and abstaining from all all physical contact. <laughs> but and then you know it kind of snowballed from there. Well, maybe if I divorce my spouse, then that would be even better. And Paul says, absolutely not. You are not to divorce. <laughs> that that is not part of it. Rather, serve God within your station. Serve God within the place to which you are called. Serve God in the vocation and the and the conditions in which you were called. That that each person has their own ability to you know carry out good works and to serve their neighbor in love. The unmarried and the widows were also being made uncertain regarding their right to marry or to remarry. Paul talks about them numerous times throughout this chapter. And whatever the, the meaning of those verses 36 through 38, we don't have the full context, the full setting for that question about um, the one engaged to a virgin, but it indicates the same sort of uneasiness regarding marriage. And so the married people are feeling uneasy. You know, how should we conduct our marriage? And maybe we should just divorce because that that might be more godly. The unmarried are wondering, can I actually get married? The widows are wondering, is it is it allowable for me to remarry those who are engaged or perhaps um, betrothed to a young woman? Those men are wondering, well, should I get married or not? <laughs> and to all this, Paul says, you know what, dear friends, um, live in the condition and the state in which you were. There's no need to change your circumstances in order to become more godly. That's the first idea. The second idea is that whatever your circumstances may be, if you are married, there's the natural understanding that in this life, you will have obviously your devotion to the Lord, but you will also have the devotion to your spouse. And in that sense, in that sense, you do not have the same single-minded devotion as somebody who is 
who is single and unmarried. And that's okay, but you need to understand that going into marriage. And you need to understand that if you were married and then you're coming into the Christian church. That in this sense, um, you want to serve God by serving your spouse. But even as even as the world spins down toward greater persecution, perhaps, and I think Paul makes a reference either here or elsewhere to that same idea, that we need to be clear-eyed about our obligation and about our desires, and making sure, obviously, that the best of circumstances would be that husband and wife serve the same Lord together and serve one another in love. And so what does this mean for you and for me? Well, if you are widowed and or unmarried, you're not a less than complete person. You are complete in and of yourself as a blood-bought soul. If you are a young person looking ahead to marriage, then look ahead to marriage. And it is better, in, in my estimation, I, not Paul, not God, <laughs> but it is, it is my impression that it is better to marry young. The average age for marriage is creeping up into the early 30s, and the advantage of marrying young is that you build a life with somebody and that you, you exercise your body in a godly way with the spouse that God has given to you. And then, above all, taking on the even the responsibility of a family and treasuring the family as the, the greatest influence that God has given into your life is over these young people that God may give to you. And if he doesn't bless you with children, that you can still lead a godly and God-pleasing life with your spouse and enjoy life in that regard. And so what does this all mean for you and for me? That dear Christian, you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been set apart, and now you can serve God in wherever you are, whatever station of life you happen to be in, whatever phase of life you happen to be in. That whether it's looking ahead to marriage, whether thinking fondly about your own marriage, looking back at married at your marriage, or simply being a single person, an unmarried person who serves the Lord with wholehearted devotion, all of these are good and godly for us to take up. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Raised with Jesus podcast. A little bit longer episode today. I try to keep these right around 10 to 12 minutes because we are 10 minutes every day where life of Jesus meets yours. Thanks for joining us today and God bless your Monday, Thursday.